0: Linda McCartney discovered photography almost by accident, accompanying a friend to a class in Arizona that would inspire a lifelong passion. She met her husband, who we all know is the Beatle Paul McCartney, while on a photographic assignment, and spent their relationship capturing their lives together. An exhibition of her work, Linda McCartney Retrospective, opened at the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool this weekend, so we're launching this new series of the podcast from the show. I'm Laura Davis, and this is Beatle City. Welcome back to Beatles City. It's really exciting to be launching the fourth series of a podcast that started out as a tiny gem of an idea and now has followers all over the world. Usually at this point, my co-host Ellen Cohen and I would have a chat about the interview that's coming up in this episode, but she's managed, after months of lockdown, to get away on holiday. So instead we will get straight to it. In today's episode I'm chatting with Sarah Brown, photographic curator for the Linda McCartney Archive who has the amazing job of looking through thousands of photographs with Paul and Mary McCartney and deciding how to use them to promote Linda's legacy. We met at the Walker Art Gallery, where the exhibition is being held and, incidentally, where Stuart Sutcliffe won the prize money that he used to buy his first guitar. Hope you enjoy.
1: It started back in 2011 with Paul, Mary and Stella McCartney wanting to put together an amazing showcase of Linda's photography and to really show that she should be recognised as a great photographer of the 20th century. And so they went through her archive of hundreds of thousands of items and photographs to decide on what images they were going to include and what would give a best overview of Linda's career and, and photography work. And it toured to Montpellier, to Vienna and to Seoul in South Korea and then it had a few years resting and then we brought it back to life. Last year it went to Glasgow and now we've brought it to the, the fabulous Walker Art Gallery and uh, for Liverpool we have brought some extra special elements. So is it important, do you think, that it's, that it's come to Paul's home city? Absolutely. That was very much his choice and what he wanted to do. I spoke about where he would like to take it within the UK and Liverpool was top of the list. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you ha- What do we have here that other places won't have seen? So we tried to think about what would make it extra special and, and what would kind of add to the exhibition and really work with the city. And um, We decided to show Linda's Never Before Seen, images she's taken in Liverpool and around the world and so I had the great pleasure of looking through the archives to find possible photographs we could uh, publish and print for the very first time and so we've got a marvellous little gem of a room showing these never-before-seen images and then also a really nice thing we've added to the exhibition in the last year is some of Linda's kind of personal photography items and memorabilia and ephemera and so for Liverpool we have a taken uh, two of her contact sheets from the archive and we are showing those for the very first time as well. They've never been taken out of the archive before. I worked with Paul to decide which ones we should show and he chose a contact sheet of her photographs taken on the world and then another one of her photographs she took of Frank Zappa and you'll see an image on both contact sheets is then found elsewhere in the exhibition and it's a really nice way to see her her photographic work kind of from start to the, the duration process where she's looking at her photographs and editing them deciding what she wants to do with them and seeing them on the wall of the exhibition. So for people unfamiliar
2: with that form of photography or mm. only used to digital, these are sheets of small images that she can go away and look exactly. at and decide what to enlarge.
1: Yes, so contact sheets are Uh, all the different frames she's taken on a roll of film, on a 35mm roll of film, very small just so she, she can see what images she would then like to pursue and print herself. And what's magical about them is that you can see Linda never cropped her photographs. So throughout the exhibition, every image you see is how she took it there and then in her camera. And you see that in the contact sheets because every photograph she has at the time composed to get the frame she wants to the composition she wants and that's what you see on the wall there, the exhibition when a lot of photographers would look at the contact sheets and then decide what images they wanted to crop and edit and that's something Linda never did. That's amazing so what she saw through the viewfinder is what we see now on the wall. Absolutely, and you can tell because there's a very thin black line around most images called a key line And that shows that that is exactly how the photograph was taken and, and viewed by Linda there and then.
2: That's really lovely It's like you're looking through her eyes. Yeah,
1: it's, it's quite
2: magical So I was interested in how she became a photographer that it, that it was quite by
1: accident Yes, it was she had an art history degree and so she had a great appreciation of art and artists but it was in the 60s in Arizona that she went to a local photography class with a friend, friend wanted to go and so Linda tagged along with her and she met this marvellous lady called Hazel Archer who worked with many famous artists such as Robert Rauschenberg and was taught by Joseph Albers and Hazel showed Linda that photography could be an art form and instead of saying this is how you take a photo, Hazel showed the class different great American photographers and what they've done and why those images are important and what really struck Linda was the works by Walker Evans, Dorothea Lange and Ansel Adams, particularly the photographs that Lange and Evans took in the Great Depression in America of migrant workers and Linda was just blown away by how photography could be its own art form and could bring so much humanity and emotion into one image and she went off and took some photographs and took them back to the class the next week and Hazel said you've got a real talent here and then life kind of went on and she didn't go back to the to the class but her kind of passion for taking photographs had really really uh, started and taking photographs that could be seen as art
2: I thought the quote that you have on the wall is really interesting where I think her father had suggested that she goes and finds out how to to train professionally and she said, I haven't got the
1: patience. Yeah, exactly. She wasn't interested in that because she said it wasn't about getting the perfect picture for her. It was just about enjoying it and being in the moment and getting a good picture was a bonus. And so it's great, though, because if you think about it, many great photographers and artists weren't trained. And Linda, in an interview, actually said, well... Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Bob Dylan, none of them can read music, but yet yeah, they're some of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century. So I think she's kind of saying that it doesn't mean that you are a good photographer just because you've been trained. I suppose there's a freedom in it as well. That's exactly what she loved. She loved, she really said she found in Arizona that she Became a free spirit, and she loved the sense of freedom and space and being yourself that she found there, as opposed to kind of her quite uh, strict upbringing in in New York. And so she loved that, bringing that sense of free spirit and adventure and playfulness to her photography. And yeah, and then otherwise, the next kind of accident happened when she jumped on board a boat with the Rolling Stones in the Hudson River. She was as as one does. (laughs) Sounds pretty good to me. And she was working as an editorial assistant at Town and Country magazine and an invite came through to photograph this up-and-coming British band on the Hudson and she thought oh no one here will appreciate that I love rock and roll you know I would love to go to this and she had a camera in her bag so she put the invitation in her pocket and off she went and they could only have limited photographers on board and she got on board and was the only photographer to get this kind of press junket of them on the Hudson and her photographs she got you've seen the exhibition are just wonderful they're re- they're very intimate they're fun and it's a different view you kind of take of the Rolling Stones you see Mick Jagger with his guard down a bit and um, they were really in demand afterwards and that set her on this path of being a music photographer in 1960s New York and in the kind of American music scene and she really flourished and in 1967 she was voted US female photographer of the year and then a year later she became the first female photographer to have her photograph on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine with a beautiful portrait of Eric Clapton so she was very talented and she was bringing to the table photographs that a lot of people weren't at the time I think something that really comes through in the exhibition which is if, if
2: you don't know a great deal about how you might think that she's got all these amazing pictures of famous musicians because of who she married mm-hmm. but actually she was doing that already she, she did it all off her
1: own back exactly and that's a big aim of the exhibition is to show that she was very much a photographer in her own right before she met paul and that's how she met paul she had come on assignment to london to uh, photograph for a bit called rock and roll and four other letter words i think and so that's it that journey in that career as a professional photographer is what led her to meeting Paul but she'd already established herself as a one of the in-demand great photographers of the 60s before then and what she did in her photography in the 60s we kind of see follows her throughout the rest of her photography career and it's really nice that people get a sense of that you know she wasn't meeting these bands because of Paul it was because of her work as a photographer and her amazing artistic eye. It sort
2: of struck me walking around as well. Often, when you have these great men like like Paul McCartney, John Lennon, um, and lots of other people, that they tend to have wives who are sort of in the background, quite quiet, but perhaps not able to follow their own interests and their own careers. And he, he's obviously he obviously supported her throughout.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, he really did. She was given so much, you know, creative space to to do her photography and it seems he always supported it and you know to this day he's pushing Linda's legacy to, to get the great recognition she deserves and it's very important to him and the family and you know, I think it just went part and parcel with who she was as a person and his career you know, wasn't going to diminish that part of her.
2: Yeah, I think you get a real sense of, of the fun in their relationship. I love the photograph of them, um, the self-portrait of him pretending to take a picture (laughs) while she is taking a picture in the mirror.
1: It's so great. I I think that really is in every room of the exhibition is this humour and uh, fun and playfulness in some of the photographs and you really see that bouncing through them and he was obviously a very willing subject, you know, he obviously loved um, having his picture taken by her and it's just a real fun connection like you said and you see that in other artists she photographs, even people passing on the street, you see them giving her a smile. I think she was, apparently she was very easy to be around and be photographed by, and that's why you get such kind of intimacy and unguarded moments, I think, because she was such an open person. And one thing the family talk about is that she was never looking for manicured scenes. She was never searching for that photograph or making scenes happen. She wasn't trying to manipulate the world or her life to then get that perfect shot. She just had an eye for seeing it there and then and then putting her camera back down. And that's probably why the humour is in the photographs because there was nothing forced or staged about it. It was just them having a good time. Mm. They're all very natural, aren't they? Very natural pictures. Completely, and then natural light too. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. She uh, shied away from using a a flash. She didn't like it, didn't bring to her photographs what she wanted and always looked for a great natural light. Mm. So she spent a lot of time with her subjects? Yes. So she talks about in the 60s how she felt the best way to get a good photograph was to spend a day with someone just having a good time and if he did that then the photos were going to come out pretty well and so i think she would have a no she had to take photos of jackson brown or Jimi hendrix but she'd you know meet them in the morning and spend the day with them and so that photographs would come naturally throughout the day she wouldn't ever say okay we only have one hour and I need to get these shots for Mademoiselle magazine it was very much she wanted to enjoy somebody's company and you know she didn't have a studio that she made people come and pose for her and it was always in their world and, and what they were up to be that the recording studio a walk in Central Park and that's what brings her images into this world of being dynamic and engaging because that's what they were doing they were bouncing off each other Because something she also says is, you've got to remember all these, in the 60s, all these musical icons we see in the photographs were on the up. You know, they they weren't sure how it was all going to turn out. And they were all just young artists living and working in New York or San Francisco and hoping that they would be these great stars one day. And she was kind of there experiencing that with them. So there was, like, less of a pretension or less of trying to... Pose and they weren't as aware of themselves or as aware as their of their image that probably then developed.
2: And it was a very different time as well. Like now, you would imagine people in that situation would be constantly worried about what they were looking like, looking like, and the image
1: that they were portraying because yeah, of social media and everything. Exactly. else. Exactly, it really was. She there's a great quote in the exhibition that says it. There was a lot of hope in the air, Linda said when you know they, she was hanging out. Um, in New York and taking these photographs that they all just were kind of, you know, almost youthful and and innocent, just hoping for the best for the world and for their careers, I guess. That's really lovely. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope that comes across in the photographs too. I think it does. Yeah, I think there's a real sense of of youth and hope and beginnings maybe. Yeah, that's a really nice way to put it. Absolutely. But again, something she wasn't striving to capture. She just captured it because she was there experiencing that. And I think hopefully that's what you get from the exhibition is it is her own experience. She is a part of the photographs, I think. Yeah, I think that comes through.
2: Yeah. So, um, so the Beatles would have just been used to having her around, presumably, because when you look at her photographs taken at Abbey Road and, and they're recording the White Album, they're just kind of getting on with it.
1: Yeah, and I've talked to Paul about Linda's ph- photography style, and it was very much fly on the wall because she wasn't ever trying to find the perfect scene or you know sh- capture like a perfect shot she was just in the background letting them do their thing and then getting the photographs of that it wasn't forced and it wasn't I don't think they probably would have let anybody hang around if they were interrupting their creativity or you know recording sessions I don't think anybody would have being being allowed to hang around because you know they were such an established band they had such a rhythm and what they did I don't think they'd let anybody kind of interfere with that and the great thing is that Linda wasn't like that as a person so she therefore got these great images that probably a lot of other photographers didn't get of them recording
2: yeah I think my favourite is the one of, of John and Paul writing a song together. It's, beautiful. it's really intimate.
1: It's really intimate, and he says that he loves seeing that because it really reminds him of, of how they did work together, and, you know, it just sums up their kind of some songwriting relationship.
2: Yeah, because I think, I mean, John Lannan's not around now for them to have got older and wiser mm-hmm. about things, mm-hmm. but a lot of people think of them as acrimonious, and yet, they, they couldn't have been really could they mm-hmm. they would never have been such a great songwriting partnership
1: exactly and what's really nice is I think you can tell they're just completely in the moment just the two of them and if you look at wider shots from that room there is quite a few people in the room including Linda but in that moment it's just those two working on whatever song they're working on I think it was for the White Album mm-hmm. and I think that's really special do you have any favorite? Any other favourites? Oh, yes, I've got a a few. It's hard to narrow it down. One is actually in the last room of the exhibition, it's called Mother and Child, and it was taken in Greece on a summer holiday, and it's this lady picking up her toddler, and the toddler is staring right back at Linda, kind of returning Linda's gaze and the viewer's gaze, and then the mother has this hilarious orange beach hat on with these kind of 3D, Orange flowers, and so there's this kind of humor in it, and then at the same time, it I makes me think of like art historical paintings of the Madonna and Child, and the embrace of Christ the baby, and it makes you think of all these other references. And I just think that's wonderful that Linda took this simple shot on the beach, and yet when you look at it, you can analyze it and take what it's referring to and and, and what it's showing about mother-daughter relationships or photographing people you can go off in all different areas analyzing that photo I just love it so for her that's
2: all quite subconscious because she must have she must have captured that moment at the second that she saw it and yet all of her own knowledge and experience is kind of ticking around in her head
1: making her want that shot exactly I think that's probably why she got the shot she wasn't overthinking it and she also says I wasn't bothered with light meters and all that stuff she always said that. So again, because she wasn't worrying, oh, have I got the right lighting? Have I got the white balance right? She just took the photograph, and it came out great. And she says, if it hadn't come, if it didn't come out great, oh, well, like at least I remember that moment in my head. I think that's a really nice thing about her. And I've looked at that role of film, and she only took four photos of the mother and the child, and only one in that kind of positioning, which I think is wonderful. It really shows that she she wasn't... You know, apparently lots of photographers take hundreds of photos of one scene, roll after roll, and, and Linda kind of just had the confidence to know, I've, I've got that shot, the moment's passed, I don't need to take it again, because the moment I wanted to capture has gone, and hopefully I've got the shot, and to me she did, it's, it's wonderful. So you
2: actually, you get to go in and, and go through rolls of, reels of, rolls?
1: Yes. Roles of film. Yes, rolls of what film. Is, what is
2: that like, to have that sort of access?
1: Oh, it's just such a pleasure and an honour. We are very lucky that it, nearly everything has been digitised, so I can do it from you know my computer, from my desk, so you can really explore just how many photographs she took and the, and the different shots that maybe haven't been published before and what we could do with them. Because she talked about, Linda talked about how she did look back on her own photography and see photographs she overlooked in the past. Like, oh, I didn't realize how good a shot that was when I published this book in 1980. Well, I should publish that shot now. And it's really nice to know that she did look back on her photographs and see them evolve and take different things from them over time. So as a curator and archivist, you can still do that with the guidance of Paul and Mary McCartney, who I work very closely with. You know, they, they know exactly what Linda would have wanted to publish. And so it's it's really, it's a real privilege and pleasure to, to get to, to look at her, her unseen images. Is it, do you wish that you could ask her about them? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'd love that. What would that. you ask her? What would you? What would I ask Linda? I think one of one of the things I would ask is what we just talked about, about was she conscious of what you could say about that photograph of that moment of that scene of her great compositioning? Was she conscious of it, or was it really that intrinsic? She just didn't need to try. I'd I'd love to ask her that. I'd, yeah. All the are the images of, were they as easy for her to take as did, they seemed yeah. to be? And I think they probably were by the sounds of it. And I think that's her great talent. I'd love to ask her that. I'd love to ask, you know, I'd love to ask her about what she thinks of digital photography and Instagram and how photography as a medium has evolved. I'd love to ask her what her favourite kind of subject she photographed was. Yeah, the list goes on. I mean, it's interesting. if I read a lot what she wrote and what she said. I think that's the best way for me to get to understand her as an artist and do right by her. And something she said is that in the 90s, photography had changed for her again. So it changed at the end of the 60s. End of the 60s, she became a bit disillusioned with what she was doing because she was getting commissioned by magazine after magazine, but they wanted certain shots. So she had a you know brief that she had to fit. So that kind of spontaneity we talked about and that freedom that she loved in photography was kind of being taken away. And so she just wasn't getting the same joy from it she used to. But what she was really loving was her growing family with Paul and their life in Scotland. And so she thought, I'm going to turn my camera to this. This is now my freedom. This is now my um, way of expressing myself. And then her photography changed again in the 80s. She starts to experiment with a lot of printing techniques. And we see these beautiful cyanotypes in the exhibition, which she called sun prints, which are done with sunlight. and they Come out with these gorgeous rich blue colours. So again, we see her thinking, oh, okay, how can I, I'm taking the pictures, how can I now experiment with printing them? And then in the 90s, she talks about how social commentary became what she wanted to focus on and that photography had changed for her again, and she wanted photography to make a social comment and social statement. And she focuses on her animal rights activism and on butcher shop windows and she wanted to show the brutality of of killing animals for meat and for human consumption. And I think that's really interesting to see her career evolving like that. And I'd love to talk to her about, you know, what social comments she did want to make because she she made many in the nineties but obviously it was cut short. Yeah. So what do you think she'd be doing now? With, with Would she be using digital, do you think? I don't know myself. I've heard Mary answer this question. And I think Mary said she probably would embrace it because she wasn't pretentious or a snob and didn't look down on anything. And she'd probably find, again, a lot of freedom in, in it and would be doing it alongside her, her 35mm photography. And she'd probably like, you know, how instant everything is because she loved the Polaroid camera for that. She loved how instant taking a picture on a Polaroid was, so I think that probably does translate to taking pictures on your phone. It's, it's instant and it's there, and it also means you you know, don't need to be again searching for scenes if you just suddenly see you can get out your phone and you've got the photo. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think she, she was doing
2: it at a time when people, like you say, people were faffing about with light meters and
1: yeah. setting up scenes. And tripods and things. Yeah. She didn't have time for any of that. Which is great because then she got to enjoy her life, enjoy being with her family, her friends or watching the street scenes around her, looking out of a car window because she was so engaged with life and the people around her. Then that engagement comes across in her photographs.
2: Yeah. So just to go, um, to go back to the family photographs to finish on. Yes. Um, I think what I really love about them is that they could be anybody's family. Yeah. They're, they're just sort of typical I mean she's obviously taken them very beautifully but it could be any dad and any, mm-hmm. any child
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely I mean the only difference is that I have many family photographs and not one is as well composed or <laughs> beautifully lit you know they, yeah they are they seem, they seem it seems very humble and very relaxed and a lot of fun and there's there, there's no glitz or glamour about them that's for sure but there is such artistry in them. And she really embraced this idea of the domestic, of home life, of cooking, of being on the land, you know, that I think was being, you know, for for obvious reasons in the 70s, many feminists were having to turn away from to make statements and to kind of progress the kind of, you know, women's rights movement. But it's interesting that Linda embraced it and then made it her own. It was almost like a terrain for her to explore and push the boundaries of and that's what I love about those family photos is that they seem so simple and the fact that they, they are these just at home pictures but then at the same time you think about it and how well composed they are and how they look like these amazing portraits she took of the 60 stars or her later social commentary work and it all kind of comes together in the family section of the exhibition that she brought all these different skills still literally to her kitchen table to taking a picture of her kids at the kitchen table because it was just so intrinsic in her and I love that she kind of pushed what family photography could be really and also didn't look down on her family as not being worthy subjects of her photographs like to her everybody was worthy, animals, nature her family people passing by on the street or, or famous people, whoever everybody was equal and everybody had a right to be photographed to be made into an art form really Uh, and I love that that she she didn't shy away from what her life was she didn't hide it she didn't hide that she was a mother she didn't hide that she loved being in Scotland
2: it's it's quite extraordinary really that they were
1: able to have
2: that, that normal life that normality
1: yeah I think I think they all speak about how Linda was a huge driving force behind that you know Paul had bought this farm in Scotland very rural Scotland on the west coast Campbelltown in the 60s and hadn't really used it and Linda made it a family home for them and encouraged them to spend summers there and to just get away from it all and have literally two rooms in their house and no hot water and just kind of be together as a, as a loving happy family and again that then comes across in her in her images of the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really does. Well thank you so much this has been a real pleasure in the exhibitions amazing i mean it'd be great if everybody could come oh great yes i hope
1: so it's an absolute delight to bring it to liverpool it really it really is really great and um feels very special and and i hope people take from it how much we've all enjoyed working on it and and how fantastic a photographer she was
2: if you're enjoying beetle city please remember to subscribe rate and review it on your favorite podcast app